And the man who had received the one talent came up to Jesus and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Have you noticed that no one can fail anymore? I mean, we're under marching orders from the time we're born to succeed. Succeed. From the time our children are old enough to hear anything we say, we're pounding it into their heads. You've got to succeed. You've got to succeed. Failure is just not permitted in our society. And we're wrecking the lives of our children by it. We force them into dating and into society earlier and earlier because we don't want to be a, them to be a social outcast. We want them to succeed. And we drive them to make good grades. And we cause them to lose all sense of self-respect when they don't. So cheat they do to make those grades. They've got to succeed. And we choose the college they'll attend or whether they'll go at all. For after all, anybody who is successful goes to college, gets that college degree. And sometimes we even choose their vocation for them. It has become a cultural response to worship the God of success. And a creedal code word of that worship is, we mustn't let our neighbors get ahead of us. And we're, wreck we're wrecking our own lives by it. We don't have time for one another anymore, or for our children, or our families, or for helping people, or for doing something to constructive to build a better community, because we're spending all our time at the shrine of success, and we, worse, and we wreck our ministers by it, so that the church has become a big business and its affairs so that everybody involved in it has to succeed. I feel that pressure. And some young ministers are rebelling against it. And they're leaving the ministry in unbelievable, frightening proportions. But some have thrown in the towel, have played the game, and have become the greasers of ecclesiastical machinery. We misunderstand the Word of God when we worship the success God. This statement causes me to cringe if you're on Christ's team you'll always be on the winning team for the fact is that to be on Christ's team sometimes means not to, to succeed as far as the world looks at it but rather to fail I want to tell you something this morning I'm speaking to each of us but I'm speaking primarily to these seniors It'll be the last opportunity that I'll have this particular group together. I want to tell you something that may shock you. You are free to fail. Now that may come as a surprise today on the week that celebrates your success and honors your victory. You are free to lose. Because 
it may seem kind of surprising because on this week, probably what you will hear the most is somebody goading you on to something better, to something higher, to succeed. But what we need this morning is not another philosophy on how to succeed. We have a library full of those. What we need this morning is one that will help us to fail creatively. For until you're free to fail, you're not really free at all. Has that struck you that that's the problem of this wicked steward that Jesus told about in this parable so familiar? And he gave us his excuse for digging a hole and burying his talent in it that he was afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of failure. And there are so many people who go through life so fearful of failure that they're paralyzed from becoming what they could and should be. The most healthy word you'll hear this week is this. You are free to fail. And because you're free to fail, you're free to be yourself. And the truth is, most of us are just one talented people. Isn't it, a, isn't it a pity that so many people go through life afraid of failure, trying to be somebody they're not, trying to fit themselves into a mold they'll never feel because they've never been able to accept themselves as they are, or they do nothing because of their limitations. I can't do what he does or as well, and so I'll do nothing at all. We will not attempt to succeed in a world where everybody has to succeed. And all the time, young people, God is in love with you and your one talent just as much as he is the man next to you who has ten. We are free when we discover that, we, that God loves us and responding to that love, we find our true personhood. The greatest slavery I know anything about is the slavery that says, I have to be somebody else. I have to be someone other than I am not. The greatest slavery that can ever come to anyone is the slavery that demands that he must be somebody else. It is better for you to be yourself and go through life not succeeding as much than it is to be somebody you're not and outwardly succeed but fail where it matters the most on the inside. God's greatest gift to us is the gift of our personhood. The second greatest commandment is thou shalt love yourself. And the first step in loving yourself is accepting yourself as you are. Now you have four options. You can destroy yourself. You can say I'm a no good bum. I'm no good to myself or to anybody else and I sure feel sorry for me. And you can find ways to destroy yourself with alcohol and drugs and self-pity. Little by little, you can tear yourself to pieces and quietly throw yourself away. You can destroy others. You can feel so little about yourself, so bad about yourself, that you want to make other people feel little. 
That's why we criticize and condemn. And that's where the phenomena of the hell's angels came into being. For here with all these young people who could never come to terms with themselves, who never felt good about themselves, and so they found ways to make other people feel little about themselves. Or you can just quit. You can say, I stop the world, I want to get off. Hang the world while I recline, I'm going to be cool. Or you can be yourself. Have you ever wanted to be somebody else? Of course you have. When you were a toddler, you wished you were that older infant, who, that older person, kid, who got all the attention. When you were in grade school, you wanted to be the fastest or the prettiest girl in school. Fastest boy, prettiest girl. When you were a teenager, you want to be a matinee idol or some great athlete. When you get to college, you want to be the... Uh, the first in your class or you want to be uh, Mr. Cool on campus. When you become a young, per, young adult, you, you long to be some junior executive with, that drives a Porsche and lives in North Dallas. When you get middle-aged like me, you wish you didn't have so many gray hairs. You wish you were more physically fit. Uh, you wish you were younger. When you become a senior adult, the senior adult goes back to relive his life or he wishes, he dreams that he could be wealthy and retire in life on the top shelf. But the Bible says that the great people of the world are the people who have come to terms with themselves, accept themselves as they are, as God made them for the work he gave them. Word has a book that I borrowed the other day. Lee doesn't know this, but I borrowed it from his office called Find Yourself and Love Yourself. And in this, in this book he tells about, he says, imagine Jesus walking with, with Peter and John to Jerusalem one day. And, and here is young, sensitive John. He's, he's acting like impulsive, bold Simon Peter. I mean, he's really acting up. And so Jesus calls him off to the side in a private conversation. He says, John, the warmth of your personality is a gift from God. And your encouragement means so much to me in my lonely ministry. I find comfort in the warmth of your heart and your sensitivity. Now, I do need bold leadership like our friend Peter, but from you, I need warmth and tenderness and encouragement. Don't take from our relationship the real you. You let Peter be himself and you be yourself to fulfill the ministry God has given you for me. And then where it says, you put yourself in that place. You're not John, you're you. And listen to Jesus say to you, what you have, your gift, is from God. Be yourself and minister to me in the way only you can. Don't be somebody you're not. Be the way God has blessed you to be to me. John Claypoo has a sermon he takes from the feeding of the 5,000 that, that wants to illustrate my point. He said there are three things that happened that day when Jesus took those loaves and fishes and blessed the multitude with them. 
He said the first thing he did was he recognized the situation. He faced it. He didn't run from it. He acknowledged the fact, I don't have much to work with, just five loaves and two fishes. Then he discovered the resources that were inherent in the situation. Then he thanked God for them and got on with the business of blessing the crowd. That's what Jesus wants from you. He wants you to face the fact of who you are. He wants you to discover the resources that God has placed in only your life. Then he wants you to thank God for them and get on with the business of blessing his world. You're free to fail. As a matter of fact, sometimes we discover who we are in our failures. Phillips Brooks was a failure as a teacher. And he said, I don't know what's going to ever happen to me, and I really don't care. But in his failure, he discovered his true person, who he really was, a preacher and one of history's greatest. Eugene Laubach was a failure. He wanted to be a, a seminary professor. He was in the running with other men, didn't get enough votes. He was a failure. But in his failure, he discovered who he was, a missionary that taught the world to read. Dare to be who God made you to be. And don't let failure rob you of that. You're free to fail. You're free to be yourself. And because you're free to be yourself, you're free to follow Christ. Now the call to follow Christ, listen to me as I speak to us all, the call to follow Christ is a call to risk. I think we need to remember that Jesus in the, in the, in the eyes of the world by every worldly measurement was a colossal failure. He was a child of peasants. He spent all but three years of his life in isolation he turned away from the acclaim of the crowd when he had them, and he was willing to spend, give his life to 12 men. He was betrayed by, his, by one of his own followers. His own family misunderstood him. One time his brothers taunted him and said, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you go to Jerusalem and prove it? The world had no place for him. His friend betrayed him, and he was crucified, an ignominious death reserved for the worst kind of criminal. Dying between two thieves, he gave up his life, and he was buried in the grave of a stranger. He was a failure. But Jesus was free to fail because he was engaging, he engaged in a task, some task other than success. Now, I think we need to be aware this morning, I think it needs to be said again and again, that just because you do the will of God does not mean that you will succeed in the eyes of the world. As a matter of fact, a person can be doing the will of God and be a colossal failure as the world sees him. Indeed, we may miss God and his will unless we're willing to fail. But in our failure, oftentimes, more times than one, God wins, and that's what counts. A man sat in the grandstand as the gladiators came out to do battle. His name was Telemachus. 
He watched as these gladiators, as they had always done in Rome, walked out into the center of that arena and saluted one another and prepared to do battle to death. But Telemachus could not stand it. And so he shouted, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, cease! And the crowd laughed and the emperor laughed. But Telemachus was serious. He crawled down out of that grandstand, ran out into the center of that arena, stood between those two gladiators, lifted up his face toward heaven and said, In the name of Jesus, forbear. And the crowd laughed, but the emperor didn't. And when the laughter subsided, the emperor did that sign, means to run him through, and the swords of those two gladiators passed in the body of Telemachus, and he fell on that dusty arena floor and died. Those two gladiators stood there stunned for a moment, and they embraced one another, and they walked out of the arena. And one by one, the historian is my witness, one by one, each person in the grandstands, in muted silence, filed out of that arena until everyone was gone. And the historian continues as my witness when he says, there has never been a gladiatorial combat fought in the world since that day. And he lost it all. But God won. And that's what really counts. You're free to follow Jesus. You're free to fail. You're free to follow Christ. Which leads me to the last idea, please. You're free to accept God's standard of success. Now, lest anybody this morning wants to accuse me of promoting failure, let me say quickly, I am not. I'm not opting for failure, nor am I encouraging it. As a matter of fact, when you follow Jesus Christ, you must, you ought to succeed. You must succeed, and you will. The only difference is that His standard of success is different from any standard you've ever heard before. Now, I want to read to you this morning the, the standard of success that Jesus established. This is, what it, this, this is it. Listen to what he said. And there arose a dispute among them, that is the disciples, as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. Who's the greatest? Who is the most successful? Who is the best? I mean, it was a dispute that had gone on from the very first day he called them. And it was, it was getting worse as the time approached when Jesus was going to leave the earth. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But not so, listen, but not so with you. Let him who is the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the servant. And there it is. You talk about something revolutionary on the week that celebrates your success, your greatness. This is it. 
God's call, His standard of success is this. If you want to be great, you must be servant of all. Kagawa was a Japanese who grew up in the slums. I read his biography. There is a scene, there is a, there is a part of that bio biography that is the most moving of any I've ever read. The biographer tells about the time Kagawa became a Christian. This is what he said in graphic language. Rats scurried over the scum of raw sewage as Kagawa stood to listen to the preacher declare the love of God for the first time. Kagawa became a Christian and he went back to his own kind and lived in the slums as a minister. So terrible were the conditions under which he lived that he temporarily became blind. He caught the disease that was prevalent where he was ministering and serving. And near the end of his public ministry, some folks decided they would honor his greatness. And so they planned a big banquet in a very luxuriant hotel. And it was a black tie affair. And all the people that were, the, the folks who were really folks were there. I mean, anybody who was anybody was invited. And everybody was there and the scene was set. Except one person was missing. It was the guest of honor, Kagawa himself. Somebody said, I saw him enter the hotel, and so an emissary was sent to find him. And they found Kagawa. You know where they found him? They found him in the washroom. And he was picking up paper to help the janitor. And up in the banquet room, the folks missed the point for they were there honoring his greatness and he was down on his knees in a washroom as a servant celebrating his greatness. The Bible says that if you love God, you'll serve him. Do you? This is a big question I must ask myself today as you, well as you. Is the purpose of your life to bear fruit and to glorify God before the world? Teilhard Deschardins, the paleontologist theologian from France, once made this statement. He said someday men will, after they have mastered the winds and the waves and the tide and gravity, they will harness for God the energies of love and for the second time in the history of the world, man will discover fire. When you and I harness for God the energies of love, young people and we're able to release those energies into the community where we live it sets the world on fire does this song sound familiar there comes a time when we heed a certain call when the world must come together as one there are people dying Oh, it's time to lend a hand.
to life the greatest gift of all. We can't go on pretending day by day that someone somewhere will soon make a change. We're all a part of God's big family. And the truth, you know, is love is all we need. For we are the world. We are the children. We are the ones to make a better day, a brighter day. So let's start giving. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own life. It's true. We make a better day. It's just you and me. If not now, when? If not here, where? If not you, then who? Yesterday, I wasn't going to share this, but I feel impressed. Yesterday, I came down to the church to do a little prayer and study. And the Lord led me to reach over on a, on a I was up in the single adult department. He, he led me to lead, reach over and take a magazine read it. I'd seen it lying there. In fact, I, I take the magazine, never read it. And I turn to this story of this pastor. It's a true story the pastor was telling about the time he came home from a revival. This time it was Saturday morning. He, he hadn't even prepared his sermons. And so he went down to the church. He hadn't won anybody to the Lord. He'd made a commitment. He was going to win three people to Christ every week. He said, I went down to the church. He said, I got out on my face in the carpet. And he said, I said, Lord, I need, I, I need. He said, Lord, I don't even know what I need. I need power. And he said, immediately, that verse came flooding into his mind. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And he said, I got up and I said, Lord, I receive your anointing today. I accept in the name of Jesus your power upon my life. If you'll lead me from here, I'll go and win anybody, witness to anybody you lead me to. And he went out, and the story is that he won several people that morning to Christ. And I got out on my face in the carpet, a singled up room. And I said, Lord, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And I got up and I said, in the name of Jesus, I accept your anointing, your power upon my life. If you'll show me where to go, I'll go and witness. And he put two names in my mind. The names of two people that I've been witnessing to for several months. And so I went. I went to the first house and knocked on the door. And a little boy came to the door and I said, is your mother and daddy home? He said, well, my mother's here. I said, would you tell her I'd like to speak to her? And he went and he went back, came back. And he said, Mother said she's fixing to leave. 
you'll have to come back. So I, I left. And I thought, well, what's going on here? I went to the second house, rang the doorbell. Nobody came to the door. This is an elderly man that I've shared with several times. I rang the doorbell a second time. Nobody came. I started to leave. The Lord said, check the backyard. So I walked around the backyard, and there he sat. And I walked up to him. I said, sir, uh, call his name. I said, I was in prayer a while ago, and the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, I want you to go and tell, call his name. I want you to tell him about Jesus. He said, well, sit down. Tell me. I've been, I tried to share with him many times. He, he, he just put me off. Dennis was with me one time. And I shared the gospel, and tears started pouring out of his eyes, and he prayed to receive Christ. I got up, and we rejoiced a while, and talked about baptism. I got in my car, and I said, well, if this lady is at home now, I knew she was taking her son to Splash Day. I'll stop. When I went by in front of this house, her car was not there, but her husband's truck was there. Now, I had been to the door a couple of times when he had asked me to come back later, and it was kind of frightening, really. So I went by, went on. I said, well, i got to go to Fort Worth. I better go on. Started up toward the house. God said, I thought you were going to accept my anointing, my power upon your life. So I wheeled her around the street, went back, pulled up, knocked on the door. This man came to the door. I told him the same story. I, I was in prayer. And God has put your name in my mind. I want to tell you about Jesus. He said, come in. Went in the den, sat down, shared the gospel. He was saved. The reason I'm sharing that with you is this. is to make this appeal not just to young people, but to us all. We are the world. We are the children. If there's ever going to be anybody to make this a brighter day, we're the ones. We have a choice. We're going to save not just their lives, but our own. We're saving our own life when we're ministering. We're sure of this. We're the ones to make this a better day. If not now, when? If not here, then where? If not you, then I ask who? Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that we're free to fail that we're free to be ourselves, to, to accept ourselves as we are. Free to find that you love us and respond to that love by loving ourselves. Becoming what you made us to be, saved us, redeemed us to be. We thank you that we're free to follow Christ, that we don't have to listen to the world. We can follow Jesus. We can choose that for ourselves. 
because we're free to fail. We thank you that we are free this morning to accept your standard of success. My prayer is this morning that each person, both young and old, will be willing to put himself at your feet to say, in the name of Jesus, I accept your power and your anointing upon my life. And I will go where you want me to go. I will be what you want me to be. I will do what you want me to do. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and for his sake. Now would you look here? There are three kinds of invitations that I want to offer today. If it seems that I've spoken to somebody else and not to you, then you blame the Lord for that because that's how he led me to preach today. But the invitation is for you right now. Listen. The first invitation is for you to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Jesus died to save you. And he offers his gift of eternal life to you. Would you come and accept it this morning? Heaven's a free gift. You can't earn or deserve it. The second invitation is for those of us who need to join the church. Because you feel God leading you here. He's led you here in life and led you to this church in particular. We want you, if God leads you, to come. The third invitation is for those who might be willing to say this morning, now it is time for me to commit my life totally to Christ, to do what He wants me to do, go where He wants me to go, be what He wants me to be. And I come to do that. That would be your commitment. And I have a feeling there are many of us who need to do it this morning. If you'll just be obedient to God, you'd come. So we're going to give you that opportunity while we stand and we sing together.